from the world to your ears. Welcome to Yakin with Yassian, a podcast about music and its business, featuring your host, Dan Yassian. Well, everybody, I want to bring you a very special guest into our studios. His name is Herbie Russ. Now, you may have heard of Mr. Russ from a long time ago and currently because he's done a lot of things that are going to be very interesting for you to learn about. I met Herbie as a singer back in the late 80s, and he was singing uh, jingles for me. I'm going to bring Herbie on now, and we're going to just talk about this. You know, it's going to be a free-flow conversation. We're not going to make a big deal out of this because I think I want him to talk more than you're going to listen to me. So, Herbie, let's talk about the first time that you and I met. All right. Well, it was back in the late 80s, of course, and um, a lady that heard me sing at a restaurant said, a friend of mine is looking for a vocalist for this commercial and that friend was you. And so you called me and set up the date. And and I, oh, this is my first commercial, and I'm really nervous. <laughs> so I was in my early, tw- really early 20s. And so I meet you, and I was a little intimidated and nervous. And we started singing. It was for a Pontiac commercial. We build excitement, I think it was. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> yeah, remember that. So here's this guy behind the glass with this unlit cigar. And that wasn't me, though, was it? Uh, it was you. Oh. <laughs> and I'm going, oh, no, I got to get this right. Uh, oh, you know, and I'm, okay, do it again. No, that's not right. Uh, okay, no, almost. Uh, okay, we're going to do three more takes and, uh, you know, put a little smile into it and uh, all this stuff. And then, uh, so I, I remember that. And then afterwards, he goes, you know, uh, and that was you. Uh, you know, it's it's... You're not the right voice for this commercial. You're very nice, Dan. And um, and he said, but, you know, we're going to cut you a check. And I really needed that check at that time in my life. So uh, that was the first time we met. Why did you need that check? Well, not too long before that, I was uh, struggling and had dropped out of school in 10th grade, in my, well, 11th grade year. And... Uh, Needed the money. I was doing some couch surfing and uh, was homeless for a bit. And uh, at that time, I had started working a little bit. So that money was appreciated. You were doing what, working? I started singing in a restaurant Mm. for, you know, little money, but it was a gig. And I had the thought of playing piano on a a tape and and playing sax and singing to that. So singing... Uh, or performing, whether it be vocally or instrumentally with a saxophone, has been long part of your life, right? Oh, yeah, it has. When did you start? I started actually in sixth grade. It was kind of earlier in the grade school when music was introduced. And mm-hmm. uh, I had a, a knack for playing by ear once I learned the instrument. And um, by eighth grade, I made the high school jazz band and in, in sax. And, and the band director said, you know what, you should go to Interlochen Arts Academy. Mm. And uh, so I fought with my parents about it because I really, really wanted to go. And, and it wasn't cheap even it wasn't, then. My parents really couldn't afford it, but I tried out for a scholarship, and I got the scholarship. Wow. And was up there uh, in my 10th and part of my 11th grade year. And uh, 
This is very interesting to me because how do you square that with somebody? You're saying you're more of an ear musician. Yeah. Was it for singing or musicianship? Well, at first it was, uh, I knew I had an ear because I could pick up a guitar and play a melody. I could uh, play something on the piano just by ear and, and pick out a melody. And then I, you know, was taught the instrument and taught more about music, but always had that ear. And I, even now I can learn a song quicker than reading music. Right. Back when I was in at Interlochen, I was up there for my first year and I uh, put my hand through a glass window and I couldn't play. And I, I went to school for music and I couldn't even play my sax. And uh, so... Uh, well, why would you do that? Why? Well, I was, I'm a jokester. I was doing the thing where I'd fake like I hit the door and uh, like, oh no, I hit the door. And then I actually put my hand through the glass and it was an accident and I had to have surgery and I had nerve damage. And I, I really, even to this day, I don't have feeling in my pinky finger. I wasn't able to do up there what I was supposed to do. I, I got into the drugs and, um, and ended up dropping out at 11th grade and Mm. wasn't able to live at home. And so I'd be, I'd just be living on the streets and staying in people's houses and couch surfing and living in my in my car. By the late 80s and, and 90s, the joy of that music left me. And I, I didn't really have a sense of purpose for... Uh, why, why, why would you say that? Well, it just was striving, you know, uh, just striving to be famous, you know, and I was uh, selfish-minded and things. But I came to a, a point in an awakening in uh, 91 and uh, realized that the music is a gift, uh, that the good Lord gave me and mm-hmm. that I need to to use that for his glory. And then the, the joy of the music came back and opportunities started coming. You know, that helped me get off the streets. And I started playing in, in the restaurants and thing. And I just put my saxophone case out there. All of my tips would go to the homeless. That's when I really started to, to give uh, to these uh, shelters. By that time, you know, I was getting paid a little bit by playing in, um, in these restaurants. And I figured, well, what extra can I do? It's that piece in your heart when you know that you're using that gift and there's purpose. When there's purpose in something, you just want to do it more. And I think God opens up more opportunities. But in consideration of all the things that you've done, singing and so on and so forth has been a huge part of your life. But you've done other things that are very notable. Tell us about Homeless Herbie. We need to know more about that. A friend of mine, and he told me to tell you hi, Dan. Tom Mabe is a comedian, and he had his own show called Mabe in America on CMT. And you can hear him on Sirius Radio, and he's all over the place as a, as a comedian. Mm-hmm. And he moved into uh, social media with uh, doing prank videos and funny videos and things like that. And he also does some inspirational prank videos. I met him in the early 90s. And uh, we, he was a producer in Nashville, and uh, he had me sing a couple of songs, one for Fox Network, and then he had a demo of a country song that he wanted me to sing while I was down there, so I met him. And then I had worked with him through the years, and then, you know, the business changed, and there wasn't as many jingles and things, and of course, his career changed uh, more in comedy. He was just naturally funny. And he did many recordings, national, worldwide recordings called The Revenge of the Telemarketers. 
Mm. Well, anyway, I hadn't heard from him in a while. And then all of a sudden, in 2016, I get a call. Hey, Herbie, it's Tom Mabe. I've been doing these videos, you know, these viral videos. And sometimes I like to do an inspirational video. And he goes, what I'd like you to do is um, to have you play a homeless guy. And he said, I know you, you were homeless before. But, you know, I want you to play a homeless guy. And nobody will give you money. You ask for money. but um, And then until you sing... And then people will start giving, and then we're going to take that money and buy uh, needs and clothing and wipes and all this stuff. We're going to buy and give gift bags and travel around and go uh, give back to the homeless. Mm. And I go, that's a crazy idea. I'll do it. (laughs) (laughs) So he met me up here in Detroit, and uh, I don't think he knew how the whole thing was going to come about. It was just magic on the streets. And at first, I'd say... Uh, can you spare a couple bucks? You would ask somebody else if. Yeah, I had a grocery cart, and I was all dirty and everything. And how and, did that go? What would people do or say? Well, at first, uh, no, you know, get a job, uh, you know, get away from me, mm-hmm. just rejection. Mm-hmm. And then I start singing, and I sing "Amazing Grace." Tom wanted me to sing "Amazing Grace," mm-hmm. and I sing "Amazing Grace," and then people just stop, and they turn around. And then they started putting money in, in the coffee can. And we did that all around the city. And I'd sing it again, and I'd sing it again. I'd sing all the verses. And, and one guy, one huge, gentle man, gives me a hug, and he whispers in my ears, do you really believe the song that you're singing? And I go, yes, with all my heart. And uh, just magic stuff uh, like that happened. Uh, these little children and their father would look and say, Daddy, what's this guy doing and stuff? And then Daddy gives him gives them money and puts in the coffee can. And uh, so it just worked out great. And uh, Tom released the video on Facebook, mm-hmm. and, uh, and it went viral. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I, I've looked at your Facebook, and you've got like millions of views, right? Yeah. That was our first Homeless Herbie video. And we've now got probably over 10 or 11 videos uh, of homeless Herbie. And when Tom first approached me with doing this, I wanted it to come off in the right way. I wanted it, I wanted it to show love and I wanted it to be inspiring. Really, we don't plan too much and we just let the love happen. We know what song I'm going to sing and we know we're going to collect money and give it to the homeless. But everything else that happens on the street is spontaneous. You're listening to Yakin' with Yessian. Visit danyessian.com and sign up for the newsletter to receive all the latest content, including vlogs, podcasts, and all things related to Dan's feature work and Armenian trilogy. Now back to the conversation. Other things happened in your life. I am first seeing you on network television, which was uh, America's Got Talent. Can you tell us about that, how that all started and and how it ended up. So AGT saw that first Homeless Herbie video that we did in Detroit. One of the producers there saw that, and they got a hold of Tom Mabe and said, we'd really like Herbie to audition. So Tom called me and said, it'd be a good thing. It'd be a good thing for you to audition. It'd be a good thing for your career. And I struggled with it. I never wanted to do a contest show like that. Um, Just never was interested in it. Just really. Can I ask why? I don't know. 
uh, fear of rejection, uh, maybe ego, all of that. I struggled with that. And the whole thing that came up was, um, I go, well, I'll think about it, Tom. And uh, for a couple days, I struggled. I'm going, oh, what song am I going to sing? And oh, how are they going to react? And maybe I can do this. Maybe I can do that. And I was all focused on me. Mm-hmm. And one morning, I woke up with peace. And I thought, you're not going to do AGT for you and get your mind off of yourself because you're going to do it to inspire other people. Mm. That made me want to do it. That made me put my my whole effort and my whole energy into it. And it, it was a lot of work. Can you go from there, that point? Yes. I, uh, I said, yes, I will do it. And they said, we're not having auditions in Detroit this year. It's the nearest place is Cleveland, and it's next week. Mm-hmm. So I said, okay, you know, and I drove to Cleveland okay. and um, got to Cleveland. We picked three songs for me to sing in front of the first judges. And they were? And the songs were Wonderful World, Louis Armstrong, mm-hmm. Bring It On Home To Me, mm-hmm. Sam Cooke song, right. and Me and Mrs. Jones. Oh, boy. <laughs> me and Mrs. <laughs> Mrs. Jones, Mrs. Jones, Mrs. Jones, Mrs. Jones. (laughs) That's a great song. I love it. But they they didn't pick that song because they knew my story. Mm. And they uh, they were gravitating more towards uh, Wonderful World. So I made it through the first round. Right. And then they said, well, we want you to go to the other room where there's three judges and pretend that they're Simon and Howie and, and they're going to be producers. And uh, and then I want you to sing uh, Wonderful World and bring it on home. Okay, but wait, wait. Yeah. Now, this is very, at this point, it's got to be intimidating. Oh, yeah. You're right. Exactly. So how do you get by all that? It, it was something I had to do. You know, it was just... You know, yeah, really, how did I do that? <laughs> I don't even know. I had my I had my girlfriend go with me, mm-hmm. uh, Helen, and uh, she was with me uh, for support. I mean, there was thousands of people in the uh, convention center in Cleveland, and they were just people juggling and clowns and and uh, singers, and they were practicing and and their headphones and you know and uh, everybody was wearing van shoes and all the hippest shoes and all the <laughs> seems like everybody had a you know if you want to get picked you got to wear the right stuff or whatever but right. uh, so yeah I was very nervous oh yeah I, I still get nervous every time I sing but made it through the first round and then they go you're not done yet go to the next room. Mm-hmm. And so the next room was a producer that interviewed you, just like we're doing now. And uh, so she was very nice, and she interviewed and wanted to get the story. And uh, America's Got Talent is really big on telling your story and helping you tell that story. I loved, I loved that part of it, and I love that show because of that. Mm-hmm. So then they said, well, it doesn't mean you made it. I know you got to get back to Detroit because I had a I had a gig that night, wow. but uh, we'll either call you and if you don't hear from us, you didn't make it. So at the end of February, I get a call. You made it on this show, mm. and so I go to uh, Pasadena. Wow! So now we're on our way. We're on our way, and uh, I'm going to meet Simon and Howie Mandel and. Heidi Klum and Mel B from the Spice Girls. Mm-hmm. And so... What was the facility that you were in when you were in Pasadena? It, it is this really huge uh, theater. And it's uh, the 
Pasadena Convention Center, and there's 2,000 people there. Already there's, you have an audience of 2,000. Right away, 2,000 people. So you're thrown right into the ring. Yeah, that's right. Talk about intimidation. Oh, I was nervous. I was the last act that went on that day. Oh. And so I had to wait with every everything. And I'm doing interviews with uh, the other contestants. And I did an interview with the Man of Mystery and, uh, and the other guy from Iraq that was a high... It was a trapeze artist, yeah. From, Isn't from that Iraq. also very intimidating in terms of, I mean, I would be asking myself, oh my gosh, I don't know if I can measure up to this. I don't know if I can measure up to that. I'm, what? Yeah, Oh, absolutely. Well, Pasadena, I sang What the World Needs Now is Love, Sweet Love. Mm-hmm. And 2,000 people there. After my performance, uh, I got a standing ovation from 2,000 people wow, and uh, from most of the judges, I believe. Melby said, you took us to church oh, on that cool. song. And uh, Heidi Klum said, you have a place in my heart. Mm. And uh, Simon said, great job, Herbie. And uh, you're on to, the, on to the next round. So Pasadena was my first. And um, we thought they were going to air that, but it, I wish they would have because I actually liked that that song better than the one that they did air. Which was? With a little help from my friends. I gotcha. And you were just uh, off camera. We, you were remarking to uh, something that uh, Simon was doing. Yeah, it, it was really funny to see. Um, when the cameras were rolling, everybody's doing their thing, and he's being Simon, the on-screen Simon. And But when the cameras were off, he's trying to finish his hamburger that he had <laughs> hidden mm. behind, underneath the desk there. So he's ducking. He's ducking, uh, you know. And then his son would come out. His son would come out in between uh, the tape. You know, we were taping uh, the first ones. And well, how old was his son? His son I, think, I think his son was probably four or five or six. Oh, okay. Um, um, yeah, he'd come in and he'd press the button, the, the <clears throat> button and uh, all that. Messing around. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, and how he was nice off stage. And mm-hmm. yeah, he, he was really nice. They're, they're all really, really cool. Accommodating. Yeah. Because they would have the sense that you're nervous anyways and, you know, just to help out a little bit, I suppose. Yeah. You know, with the calming. Tell us about Helen, who accompanied you yeah. on this trip. Well, Helen and I had been dating, and I had been married a couple different times uh, in my life, and it didn't work out. And, uh, mm-hmm. But I met Helen about six years before America's Got Talent, and uh, and I, I brought her with me. After my performance of, with a little help from my friends, um, my mother and my two sisters went that time, too. Wow. And they were sitting right behind Simon. Mm-hmm. And Helen was there, and right after uh, all the judges said their things, and um, Simon said, "Oh, that was great, Herbie, but you know maybe you shouldn't have sang a Joe Cocker song because you sound a lot like him." I kind of remember that while I was watching. Yeah, yeah. and I I kind of agreed with him uh, too, and uh, uh, I but, wouldn't have agreed with him, but that's another story, right? <laughs> So right after he said that, I said, but I'd like to bring up my best friend and my soulmate. I'd like to bring her up on stage right now. And the crowd's going, yay, yay. And uh, Helen's going, oh, no, no. I, no, she's because she's kind of shy. And uh, my sister said, get up there. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, so she got up on stage and I got down on one knee and I asked her to marry me. Wow. And uh, so we did that. I kissed her, and then she didn't have a mic. So Simon said, give Helen the mic. 
And then Howie Mandel asked Helen, well, Helen, is it a deal or no deal? (laughs) (laughs) It was the greatest thing. They ended up not airing that part. There was just so many acts and so many things that they they couldn't fit everything in there. But we got some really nice photos of it, of of the moments and uh, that I did that. But (laughs) so that's great. And we got married one year ago. Well, Herbie Russ, thank you for joining us on this interview. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me, Dan. You're a cool guy and you're my brother. (laughs) This has been Yakin' with Yessian. Thanks for tuning in. As always, visit danyessian.com for all the latest content. See you soon.